The Woj Pod is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead Goodyear more driven. The Ultimate Fighter is back. The reality show that brings top MMA prospects together under one roof to compete for a UFC contract is on ESPN+. Bantamweights and middleweights put their lives on hold for a chance to pursue their UFC dreams. Stream new episodes every Tuesday only on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com slash UFC. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with ESPN's NBA reporter, Malika Andrews. Malika, how are you? I am just living the dream in Georgia. <laughs> how are you, Woj? I'm great. I understand there's some commotion at your hotel in Atlanta. There- Tell me what's going on at that hotel. So I grew up in California, so this is just completely foreign to me. I walk into the hotel, and there's a beauty pageant here, and it's a beauty pageant for like 8 to 11-year-olds, and I have never seen 11-year-old children walking around with their, their spray tans done, and they're wearing more makeup than I wear when I go on television, and I just I sat in the lobby. I was doing a coach's call this morning for our game broadcast, and I sat in the lobby, and my eyes are just darting back and forth as I'm watching these mothers like holding up their daughter's hair as they're walking back to their hotel rooms that have their faces plastered on the door, so it, it's a party down here in Atlanta, whoa. Uh, I guess I guess the pandemic's over. Down here it is, Apparently. evidently. Evidently. Aren't there like 10 reality shows about those kind of pageants? Aren't there like a bunch of reality TV shows about like psycho parents and those things? Well, and I'm sure that this one, this looks primed for to be the 11th one of these television shows because I the, 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 the culture of the whole thing is just, it's again, it is so foreign to me. I, it never crossed my mind to be a, you know, a, a little baby beauty pageant, but... Beauty pageant oh. queen, beauty pageanter, beauty pageant participant. We'll figure it out. I'm, I'm going to do some more recon, but by the time I leave here, I'm going to be doing the hair, so it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're you're opening your vistas to new mm. to new ideas out mm. there. That's the whole idea of traveling and and uh, seeing the world. Uh, but speaking of travel, Malika, you came from Milwaukee last night, yeah. where the Bucks. I mean, they had to make a stand to save their season. Uh, Probably spare Mike Budenholzer's uh, job for now. Yeah. Uh, and it felt like, and talking to some people in Milwaukee, and we were watching it in studio uh, with the with with countdown, and and you were there. That that place was. It seemed like there was an incredible energy, uh, a nervous energy, certainly going into the night. But uh, the Bucks somehow survived, and and they lived they lived to fight another day. Right. Well, when they were up, I think 30 to nine on that Giannis layup with 90 seconds to go in the first, right? The place was rocking. I mean, I I think that a lot of folks perhaps don't think of Milwaukee as a rabid sports town where people, especially for basketball, where they just pack and pump into the play. But Milwaukee Bucks fans show up and they show up in numbers. This was the biggest crowd they've had all season long. It, It was just, it was bumping in there and it was loud. And so it was an interesting game, right? Because early on Milwaukee just came out and they punched and they punched hard. And so they had this enormous 21 point lead early on. And then that nervous energy that you mentioned, it slowly started to trickle back up as the net slowly started to do what they do and came all the way back to tie the game. And so then 
every time Kevin Durant had the ball, it was like the entire breath of the crowd would rise and fall with every single shot that he took. And then after that, back and forth with P.J. Tucker, every time Kevin Durant touched the ball, he would get booed with a, I mean, just ferociously booed. And then there were the FKD chants that just came raining down on the floor. So it was it was an interesting environment. You could tell that as excited as the crowd was, they were nervous because they know what that game meant for them, for their season, for this franchise. Malika, did we see a little bit of a uh, the blueprint or a formula on how Milwaukee has to play Brooklyn, and I think Drew Holiday said it in the piece you did, uh, the, the idea, we've got to muck this up, right? And yeah. and you saw them, you know, without, you know, Giannis continuing to struggle from three the three-point line, but also from the free throw line, Drew Holiday not having the kind of performance you thought they might need to win the game. But uh, there, there's room certainly for those guys to play better in a game four and the rest of the series, but uh, to keep that game well under a hundred points to keep the nets, uh, you know, defensively to be able to take some things away. And the nets missed a lot of open shots. Joe Harris right. missed some looks They they had some looks there, but, but there was something of a, of a blueprint to hang in there. And this is coming off a game when they were down, you know, they trailed by 50, almost you know, 50 points right. uh, in game two. Right. Well, it's interesting you say that, Woj, because it, it certainly could be, right? This is one of the game, – game one had some interesting competitive moments. Um, game two was a blowout. Game three, the beginning, looked as if it was going to be a blowout, but all of their points were coming from – all the Bucks points were coming from just Chris Middleton and Giannis. And so knowing whether or not that can be sustainable – it wasn't other guys had to chip in a little bit, but but Giannis and Chris were really their leaders there. But after the game, I asked Giannis about whether or not, you know, Kyrie Irving said this is sort of an old-fashioned type of playoff series, old-fashioned type of playoff game. And I asked Giannis whether or not he liked that, whether or not he enjoys that. And he said, you know, it's always enjoyable when you win, but no, he likes to play with more pace, with more shooting. Well, guess who also likes to do that? The Brooklyn Nets. So perhaps they're in this little bit of a push and pull of what they like to do versus what might be tactically appropriate if they want to even up this series in game four. I mean, what was interesting was, you know, we saw late in the regular season when Brooklyn played those two back-to-back games in Milwaukee mm -hmm. and Milwaukee won them both also without James Harden. Yep. And, you know, there was a thought, well, maybe that gives them some confidence going in. But even when he talked to the people in Milwaukee, like they knew well, we're going to see Harden in the playoffs, and it's not the same. But now it is the same team, and we, you know we don't know yet if we're going to see Harden in this series. Um, but it still feels like as long as the Nets have two of their big three, and whichever two of the three it is, as long I think especially as long as KD is one of them, right? They're probably still the best team um, on the. They're they're going to have the best team on the court, and and there is optimism that they are going to get Harden back, mm -hmm. and that, that they will have all three. Right. And that they're going to get Jeff Green back. Perhaps, you know, Jeff himself floated as soon as game four. Now, I watched Jeff warm up a little bit. He was doing a lot of uh, dribbling exercises. He wasn't doing so much of the cutting. That's what he said, still missing for him. So that sort of remains to be seen. But he expects to come back soon. The thing is, I mean, 
Milwaukee did exactly what they needed to do. They needed to be the more aggressive team. They needed to want it more. But like you said, I mean, the Nets missed a lot of shots. And I don't mean that as a cop-out for Milwaukee. Milwaukee really did step up to what they needed to do, and Drew Holiday hit that big shot. And also, they hit that big shot that was – Kyrie said he thought that Bud was going to call a timeout and potentially draw something up to go for the three as opposed to an easy two. And that ended up working out to their their benefit and to the Nets' detriment. But several times down the stretch, the Nets just had a shot to make and they just missed it. Now, that was the reverse of what happened in game one. The Bucks just said, you know what, we're not going to have these poor shooting nights for every single game. We're just going to bank on that. We're going to bet on that. And then lo and behold, they did have a poor shooting night in game two. So it the Nets can't simply say, and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant said this yesterday, we can't just bank on the fact that we're going to make shots. That being said, if you want any team to bank on the fact that they just are going to need to shoot better, it should probably be the team that has two of the greatest scorers currently in the league and potentially making the all-time greatest scoring lists. Right, Malika. And when Milwaukee charted a course on reshaping this roster, with John Horst in the front office and Mike Budenholzer, they talked about having more scoring options beyond Giannis and Chris Middleton, that in the playoffs, they just couldn't get enough shot creation to advance. They were an elite defensive team in the regular season. The last couple of years, the the best in the league and that they were going to have to do some things to get more scoring. Maybe, maybe you'd see a step back defensively, which you did it. Uh, and, for a good part of the regular season, but that they could scheme defense in the playoffs, but they had to get more offense and certainly bringing in Drew Holiday, who's who's obviously an outstanding two-way player. Mm-hmm. Bobby Bobby Portis off the bench has has helped in that regard, certainly, and that we're going to have to score more uh, to win in the postseason. And if you're going to beat Brooklyn, you're going to have to score the ball. You're not shutting them down. They're just, they're just too talented. P.J. Tucker, who they brought into trade deadline, the thought was, or prior to the trade deadline, I guess, you know, the thought was certainly he can come out and be able to defend a couple different positions. And you saw him on KD a lot last night. Those two mm-hmm. went at it. They're old, you know, Texas Longhorn. Yeah. They've been close friends for a long time. They were going at it. So, um, but I think that's, that was a thought in Milwaukee that, that we just, you know, Bryn Forbes is another player, you know, they've obviously lost Dante DiVincenzo for the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but can this team score enough? Uh, to beat Brooklyn. And I still think that's, is there a team in the league who can score enough to beat them four times in a series is still the question. We'll see if Milwaukee can do enough of that to extend this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we see that a lot. You come home game three, you got your crowd, you get one, and then it's really hard in game four. Yeah. And, and that's where obviously the Nets can go up three, one and, and, and put the start to put this thing away. Well, and it's also been interesting to see the the opposite knock on Brooklyn, rightfully so, all season long, was this isn't a team that's built to defend. And then all of a sudden in the playoffs, I wouldn't say they're an exceptional or great or even very good defensive team, but their defense all of a sudden has been turned up, in especially in, in this series. It's been good enough to complement what they're doing on the offensive end. And so it's just difficult knowing how much had to go wrong for Brooklyn and how many uh, just sneaky little things had to go right for Milwaukee to see that continue to be the path that is charted. It's not impossible, 
but it's just an uphill battle. And walking around Pfizer Forum yesterday, chatting with folks with the bucks, seeing the energy of the fans, they know that. Like, that's not a secret. They know what's going on right now. And it feels like they're trying to stave something off, not like they're coming from behind and the cavalry is coming. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think for Mike Budenholzer, listen, he knew when he left the bubble last year that his job, his future with the organization and his future as head coach there was really going to be built around how this team performed in the playoffs. And I don't think there was ever any hard and fast line of demarcation given to Mike Budenholzer where it was, you've got to win the championship this year to keep your job, or you've got to get to the NBA finals or Mm -hmm. the conference finals. We're in the conference semifinals right now against maybe a a historically great, a team that could turn out to be historically great, certainly historically talented team. But I think the feeling for Bud and Bud's future was the season can't end in a thud. Now, Mm -hmm. if that means all of a sudden the Bucs come back and they push this to seven games and there's an epic loss to Brooklyn and they look at themselves and say, we are onto something here. We transitioned to a different style and, a, and and did things differently, and we saw progress. And while we didn't beat Brooklyn, maybe we stay the course here. I, I don't think that's out of the question. But I think if this is a Milwaukee team that does not, if last night, if game three was the apex of this series for them, it, I think it's going to be very difficult I, I, I think it's very unlikely and it'll be very difficult for for them to keep Bud and move forward. He's got a year left on his deal. They could have extended him early in the season, the offseason. They chose not to, and they really were going to ride this year out. And and while I don't know if he has to come back and win it, boy, it, it can't, the, the, you know, if, if again, if it ends in a thud, hard to imagine he's back. Exactly. And that's not, a secret, right? That's something where after game two, I got messages saying, you know, perhaps this was this was the beginning of what we all know is coming from folks who were or are around there. The feeling is of of progress, of showing that this is the step forward we're taking with the organization and not just for this season, but showing that this is going to be a building block and a building block and a building block. If that that building block thought isn't there, that's where I think those questions would, that you just alluded to, those questions would be answered in, you know, okay, if we don't see that we can build and move forward from this, and this was a step forward from the thud ending, because it was two very different thuds the last two seasons for Milwaukee. The thud of getting up 2-0 and then losing four straight to Toronto, and then the thud of the bubble, two very different types of thuds. So it's not like you said, there isn't one, this is the prescription, this is the recipe that is keep versus leave. It's more that feeling. That's right. And, and, you know, now we're starting to see we have four coaching openings 
in the league right now. I am not including Atlanta in that. Nate McMillan, it is obvious he will move forward as the Hawks coach, as long as he wants to, and I have no indication that Nate doesn't want to continue. Uh, but I guess technically, if he wanted to get involved in another job, I suppose he could, but I don't think he's got a great thing going there. They have, uh, obviously, you know, they're 1-1 in the conference semifinals. So, so take Atlanta out of the equation, and it's Indiana, Boston, Portland, Orlando right now. And we, we talked about Milwaukee, uh, two of their – Two of their assistant coaches uh, we reported this week, uh, Darvin Ham, Charles Lee, are going to interview in Boston. Uh, both, I think, are going to be head coaching candidates, uh, perhaps elsewhere, too. And, you know, now we're starting to see that coaching cycle uh, open up. And, and listen, one thing about Mike Budenholzer, he's had some mm -hmm. great, great coaching staffs. Go back to Atlanta, where he had a staff of Quinn Snyder. Kenny Atkinson, uh, Darvin Ham yep. was a part of that, who I do believe is a future Taylor head Jenkins. coach in the league. Taylor Jenkins, Memphis's head coach. I mean, who's, uh, you know, certainly distinguished himself in that job so far. And, and uh, Bud's always just had very good staffs. And that's certainly the case again in Milwaukee. Uh, but you covered the Bucks uh, certainly more closely, you know, prior to moving back east and, and doing the Nets. What do you what do you know about and and what's been your impression of Darvin Ham, Charles Lee, and and that group of assistants that Bud has who who are interviewing who are going to interview in Boston and I think are going to continue to interview for other jobs and I think both of those guys will end up head coaches somewhere. I think that as as one thing I love is to watch. Darvin Ham and Charles Lee discuss what the future could look like for both of them. And there is no bigger proponent of Charles than Darvin. And there's no bigger proponent of Darvin than Charles. It's Mike Budenholzer, like you mentioned, he has it's 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 been a, a trickle down effect because he came from the the Popovich tree. And now Bud is is really he's created his own tree. He, he, there is a Mike Budenholzer tree that is coming out in the NBA. And I certainly, I, 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 I hope, but I, more than that, I believe that Charles Lee and, and Darvin Ham are going to be head coaches in this league. I think the league is starting to see it. Um, you know, th the other thing is right now around the league, there is a, a sense, particularly when I think back to, you mentioned the Nets, I think back to the beginning of, um, Brooklyn season and when there was a coaching search going on and the number of um, black head coaches decreased between seasons last year. And now when I look at Darwin and Charles and um, uh, other there are there are there are names around the league, Jacques Vaughn, Ime Udoka, those guys their names are starting to get out there as well. And that's an emphasis that the league is pushing right now, not just because they know that diversity matters to their players, but also because these diverse coaches are good, are talented. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I believe that those, those, these guys are going to get coaching jobs in the near, near future. Yeah. Jamal Mosley in Dallas mm -hmm. is another yep. coach who's interviewing in Boston uh, their top assistant and Wes Unsell Jr., who's part of that uh, Denver staff and and the success they've had there. There's a great crop of assistant coaches, and it's going to be, you know, part of it is fit, and part of it is teams. You know, certain certain teams based on their rosters want somebody who's been a head coach, um, and there's other teams that 
you know, may go, sometimes you go opposite of what you did last time. Indiana, after the disaster of Nate Borkren this year, you know, they may look more toward, and I think they are, toward a veteran head coach. Terry Stotts is going to be a candidate there, is one Steve Clifford. You know, they have a roster in Indiana with veterans that, when healthy is a is a mid, you know, I think it is a mid uh, tier playoff team in the East, and and so um, you know we'll see. I I don't know that there'll be more openings in this uh, cycle, but you never know. Teams get eliminated, and funny things can happen sometimes. Or teams who get distance from the season, who you thought the head coach was in the clear, all of a sudden after it was a little bit like Orlando with Steve Clifford and. Uh, the front office there after talking and talking and talking just the feel was going into a rebuild. They didn't fit each other anymore right. and what they wanted to do. And so uh, we'll see if that happens anywhere else, but, but, but that is a, uh, a list and Boston will be interesting. Brad Stevens doing their search for his replacement and um, you know, will, would they go with an assistant? This is still a, you still got two, you got two all-stars under 25 years old. In Boston, it makes it an appealing job. And, and one name we left out is maybe the most prominent of assistant coaching candidates, and that's Chauncey Billups. Oh, absolutely. With the Clippers, who is it uh, uh, among uh, the very serious candidates in Portland, Boston, uh, same there. He obviously started his playing career in Boston. And I think Chauncey might have been a candidate. He has been a candidate in the past before he had gone into coaching. He actually originally was focused on going to the front office and he came pretty close in Cleveland and ultimately decided to turn that job down as GM and then decided that he wanted to get on the coaching track and and the chance to go to the Clippers as an assistant coach has been, I think, really beneficial for his development. I think being an assistant, like, listen, there are cases of coaches who became head coaches without any time as an assistant. And even those guys will tell you they look looking back, it would have behooved them. You know, Doc Rivers would tell you looking back, there certainly would have been things that would help them. He was the NBA's coach of the year in his rookie year. Mm. But I think for Chauncey, it's been really good uh, to get that experience on what's a very good Clipper staff. You have a couple of former head coaches on that staff and obviously Ty Lue, who's been an elite coach in the league. So I, I think, uh, you know, Chauncey, you're going to continue to hear Chauncey's name in this coaching cycle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Chauncey is a name that has come up uh, I, I have loved watching Chauncey's development, growth, changes. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed Chauncey. Chauncey, I mean, back to when I was an intern at the Denver Post, has always been someone who has been uh, such a great, almost like a, ca- a cataloger of the league, right? And so looking to see what he's been able to do now, what he's been able to learn, what the staff has been able to pick up, I expect to see he's another one that I I, I just, it would, it would be surprising to me to see us go through, maybe not just this year, but another couple of cycles and not see him land in one of those jobs. I expect to, to hear Mike D'Antoni, who obviously is an assistant with Brooklyn. I expect to hear his name bouncing around, perhaps interviewing in some places. Um, but it, it's interesting to see, right, you mentioned these these head coaches on these these benches right now that are then shaping also some of these, these other 
future coaches that we could see like a Chauncey Billups, uh, like a Charles Lee. So I think that this is going to be a really interesting season in terms of who ends up with these coaching jobs, especially because a lot of the guys that we just mentioned, they're a little bit more, they're, they're on the, the the younger side, the more relatable to some of these player side, the, the, the player forward side. So it's going to be interesting to see the way that that um, sort of continues to progress here. Yeah. And I think more than ever, uh, I mean, listen, this has always been the case, but it is a leadership position mm-hmm. in the NBA and you have to be able to command the room. And I think it's harder than ever to do it in the league. And that's always been the intrigue with Chauncey Billups was that he is just a natural leader and he was that as a player. And, um, but listen, you've got to be, that works and that helps when you walk in the door and it gives you credibility when you walk in the door. But if the players don't see that you can help them, that you're organized, that you can make them better, it doesn't matter who you are. Right. Like it won't last. So when you have someone of Chauncey's stature and that is met with the preparation and, and having a great staff and all the things that any head coach needs coming in, then you've really got something. Uh, and I think the belief is that Chauncey, again, with, with only one year behind him as an assistant or this one season would have the ability to bring all those things. So that'll be, that'll be interesting. I think you'll hear Mm -hmm. his name some more with Portland, with Boston, uh, uh, Indiana. He, he interviewed last year with the Pacers before he had coached, didn't get that job. But, but I think again, back in the cycle now, we mentioned Nate McMillan and Atlanta. You, you flew from Milwaukee to Atlanta. You've got that game three on ESPN, uh, tonight against Philly. And really the Hawks are just a remarkable story this year. Yeah. You know, on paper all year, you looked and you said, Travis Schlenk did a really, really good job of putting this roster together, but we never saw the team all together. There were so many injuries during the season and Bogdanovich went down. Gallinari was down. DeAndre, DeAndre Hunter, Hunter now. now is out for the season. And all of a sudden you saw in the playoffs, you know, Cam Reddish, who another young developing player has been out for most of the year now, but. I think the, the impact Bogdanovich has made on this team. And then, you know, people forgot they had traded for Clint Capella at last year's trade yeah. deadline. He came in, was injured. So you didn't really see him till this year. He's been remarkable. And and obviously the continued growth of, of John Collins. When you look at how you build a roster and you, Travis Schlenk has hit all three phases of it, which is draft, free agency, and trades. And, and he's really made impactful moves in all those places. And now all of a sudden, you know, they roll through New York, they go in and, um, you know, steal a game one in Philly mm-hmm. and now come home to uh, a city that's getting pretty excited about this team. Trey Young is becoming a star in the NBA and certainly yeah. that New York series elevated him. Uh, once you start doing it in the postseason, then people really take notice. And so, uh, and then Nate McMillan, the impact he's had on this team has been uh, tremendous. And people forget Nate McMillan was on a, I think a nine game playoff losing streak. Mm. from Indiana going back a couple of years. And I mean, I don't know, to me, you could look at that streak and go, I, I thought he overachieved in the regular season and had injuries and, and maybe was overmatched where they got seated in the playoffs when he looked at it player for player. But uh, no one's talking about that now. He, he uh, did a great job in the series against New York, against who uh, Tom Thibodeau, who was obviously the, the coach of the year. And, and now Philly is in, 
This is a battle. Philly's going to Philly would be very fortunate to get out of this series alive. And right now, to me, Atlanta looks like an looks absolutely like a team that 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 could find itself in the conference finals. And mm-hmm. I don't know that any of us would have imagined that even a month, a month and a half ago. No, absolutely not. If I told you that I was, you should call me a liar because you would correct. Uh, I, I, the the temperature of this city, Nate McMillan was telling me earlier that he used to be able to walk around his building that he lives in and he could walk in his elevator. He could walk around the building and no one knew who he was. And now, even with his mask on, he says he can't walk through the lobby without someone saying, hey, good luck tonight, or hey, how's DeAndre doing? Or hey, that was a pretty, that was a pretty crazy shot from Trey. John Collins told a story this week. Um, He was drafted in 2017 by the Hawks. So for four years, he's been going to the same gas station. It's a gas station that's around the corner from the Hawks practice facility. And so a couple times a week, he comes in. It's been the same gas attendant, he said, for the last four years. And he goes, he gets his, his snacks, and he fills up his car, and he leaves. And for the last four years, it's been it. And he said that all of a sudden... After they beat the Knicks, all of a sudden, the gas attendants know who he is. He said, no one could have cared less who I was before that. And now that we beat the Knicks, it's, oh, hey, what, the the Hawks, this, that. ATL is showing up for this team now. And they're getting excited for this team now. And John's like, yeah, I might have to hook him up with the jersey and blah, blah, blah. But these guys used to be able to kind of walk around the city and the Hawks were sort of this, you know, for the last couple of years, they've been this sort of middling team that was fine, that was nice. And now it feels as though because of what you mentioned, the growth, the building that Travis Schlenk has put together, the coaching that Nate McMillan has brought to this roster, uh, the evolution of Trey Young, these moments from John Collins, all of a sudden, Atlanta has been put on notice. Oh, this is one of our teams too. We're going to rep for them. And they feel it. And so this has been... I think the most remarkable story of the regular season may very well have been the New York Knicks. The most remarkable story of the postseason certainly seems to be, from a team perspective, the Hawks are just, they're defying odds, defying gravity. It's, it's been yeah. a treat to watch. Yeah, and, and now all of a sudden the pressure on this Philly team. There, there was a honeymoon this season for Daryl Morey coming in as president Doc Rivers as coach, they were exalted all season. You know, I think the moves Doc or the Daryl made in the offseason, some of the things they did with the roster, and then uh, getting that number one seed, which allowed Philly to be able to avoid Brooklyn until a conference final, mm-hmm. and then all you know, running right through Washington, which we would have expected even without Joel at the back end of that series, and all of a sudden they lose Game One to Atlanta and. I mean, that's Philly, and now all of a sudden the sky is falling and the pressure, I think, on their stars. Joel Embiid has been dominant, certainly, in Excellent. games one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ben Simmons is sort of back there that, you know, does this partnership work? Is this the best way to go forward? We know, you know, earlier in the year, the James Harden discussions and whether Ben Simmons would be in a package for Harden, whether Philly would do that. And now we're back to some of the same questions, which are going to linger with Philly if 
if they don't get out of the series and um, it, it's to me, it still feels like Atlanta's playing with house money. There is not pressure on this team. And, and it looks, I mean, they're out there talking, you know, Clint Capella's talking in the New York series. Then he goes out and backs it up. Yeah. Trey's having a blast. And, and this is a team that's playing loose and it shows. And Hey, listen, there's a lot of pressure on the Sixers in this game three in Atlanta. Certainly if you're Philly, you, you got to get home court advantage back and, and, and get this one. Well, and it, it brings me back to, I remember in the bubble last season, uh, I hate to bring it up again, Clippers fans, but that 3-1 lead with the Denver Nuggets that just, Nikola Jokic, I remember him saying before the last game of that series, there's no pressure on us. We're playing with house money. There's no pressure on us. That's that's the Hawks now. The Hawks are playing. Anything they do now is a just a, a delightful Add addition to what they've already done, and sometimes that's when the the you know the the scary things come out. That's when the surprises happen, and for the Hawks, I mean, they they have everything to gain and nothing to lose here, and that can be a scary proposition when you're going up against a team a team that has expectations, and Philadelphia has expectations. They do, and I you know it's funny. I'll, I'll be interested to see the environment in Atlanta for game three. I remember covering 99. I know you were probably in kindergarten or something, but <laughs> not 1999, even. <laughs> the not even. Yeah. The, uh, the Knicks, uh, Knicks Hawks second round series, the Knicks had beaten uh, Miami in that best of five as the eighth yep. seed. It was in the lockout year. And then they go to Atlanta and it was a Steve Smith, the Kimbe Atlanta team. And they just blew them out in that series. But I just remember the arena not sold out and so many Knicks fans. And I remember how much noise there was in the building for the Knicks in that series and that people barely knew that the Hawks were in the second round. Now, it's very different now. They've got a new arena. Uh, they've got some star power in Trey, Trey Young. And I think there is a different feeling there. But I, I don't know. I've always felt like Washington, Atlanta being consistently good or the Washington Wizards, those are potentially, they, they, they should be destination markets in that if you're good and you got it rolling, uh, those are cities players like and want to live in and live, a lot of guys live in Atlanta mm -hmm. in the off season. And, and DC is an incredible basketball town with a team that's got great tradition. And I, it feels I've always felt like if Atlanta could just, if they can keep this group together and win and be good, that how they're viewed, which is, you know, smaller market, not a place where like the free agents they got this year, um, you know, Bogdanovich was signing trade, was signing trade, uh, Gallinari, they had cap space and, and they were able to, uh, you know, go out and get that second tier free agent. Bogdanovich has been awesome. Uh, but, but, I think there's a lot that can be built toward in Atlanta, and, and I think they've got a great infrastructure. And, and this series and this run could go a long way, and I think uh, establishing that, cementing that for that franchise. Not to mention they could have all of their children in beauty pageants here at my hotel. So that's <laughs> well, you know, like there's this certain there's this certain pluses in free agency and, um, you know, that. Uh, supersede everything else. That's, that's clearly one of them. Uh, <laughs> I, I know, I know you'll be, uh, 
you'll be hanging around the lobby, mm. uh, people watching that the rest of the day before uh, your game, uh, your game three. You're there with ESPN crew. We'll we'll see you tonight on Countdown, Malika, and uh, I'll see you somewhere in the world here soon. I'm sure. I'm sure. Thanks for having me, Woj. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, ESPN's Malika Andrews. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure also to listen to the Adam Schefter podcast with host Adam Schefter, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, and the Low Post, of course, with Zach Lowe. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.